My name is Sterling, and I'm really glad to be here with you tonight. I'm the discipleship pastor uh, here. I get to be on staff at this incredible church, and uh, wow, applause. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, I, I just want to say, uh, we're about to jump into it. You can open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. We'll get into that in just a second, but I want to say, uh, I'm so grateful for the leaders that we have. And uh, I don't say this just because uh, no, no one tells us to say thanks, honestly, to our leaders uh, when we get up here to preach. But I am grateful for Pastor Kendall, Pastor Tracy, and Pastor Kyle, who I believe are the most remarkable leaders that any church could have. Uh, and I'll say this too. We are connected as a church to 650 other churches here in the North Texas area. And I personally also believe that those three leaders are the, among the most decisive, genuine, and influential leaders around. And they're here, they're not here. They're watching from Africa tonight or this morning for them. And so Freedom Church, could you help me give them a quick cheer and say thanks to our leaders? Yes. They are phenomenal, and we are going to get into it tonight. Uh, this message is going to be a little different than most messages because it's on something called Christian apologetics. The title of tonight's message is Rethinking Reliability, and it's Christian apologetics. Now, if you think that um, that means you say sorry for being a Christian, uh, then just know that I thought that when I first heard it too. And so if you're dumb, then I'm dumb right there with you uh, because we just didn't know what Christian apologetics, that's not, that doesn't make you dumb. Uh, but what a biblical apologetics are is just giving some understanding into some areas of the Bible that some people have objections against. And if this is not a typical message for you, if this isn't your type of thing, then good, because I hope to give you a straightforward and very interesting approach tonight to something that I believe is crucial to our faith. And uh, to be honest, I wasn't going to say this, to be honest, I'm taking a little bit of leeway by doing a sermon on Christian apologetics because simply my title is discipleship pastor here. So I feel like I got to really bring some, no, I'm just kidding, bring some depth. To set a quick foundation, let's read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. One of the most interesting and confounding things about Scripture to me is how one writer calls the Word of God alive. It says, For the Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. I'm going to have to blow my nose. It exposes our innermost thoughts, and desires. Tonight, I want to find out if this unique book that has the power to expose our and your innermost agendas has launched some of the most violent wars and the most loving movements, and even has power to do things like inspire even the most wronged and hurt people to forgive freely if it's reliable in just a few minutes. Why don't you join me and we'll pray over tonight. I know we did, but Lord, I, I, it's just me again and I just wanted to say, be with us. I pray that you speak to us. Allow us to see something new about your word than maybe we've, never, we, than maybe we've ever heard before. And let it be uh, insightful to us and increase our faith tonight. And, and I pray that you encourage everyone that's here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Hey, have you ever watched a 3D movie with those 3D glasses on? Now, I kind of like them. 3D movies are, are good. But the thing that gets me are those 3D glasses because I can't help but think about the million people that have worn them before me when, I'm, when I put them on. And I know they come in those plastic wrappers, but those, that's so fake. You know that they just put those in right before you, they give them to you. I'm just kidding. 
but they also never seem to fit on my fat face either. I don't really know what the deal is, but they slide off. And so there was this one time where I was uh, watching a 3D movie. I was at the theater and they continued to slide off of my face. And after about the 10th time, I said, okay, I'm really sick of this. I'm not doing this anymore. Surely watching this movie can't be that different without them. I was really wrong. After just about one minute, it was so blurry and confusing and my, I had a headache and I was so frustrated that I, the, the need for this 3D movie to be uh, 3D in my eyes again was so important that I just put those glasses back on and I lived happily ever after because I, I just was sick of it. And I had to say that because I, I think when it comes to the Bible, I think a lot of people experience reading, hearing, and thinking about the Bible sometimes like watching a 3D movie without 3D glasses. It's not just mildly blurry. It's brain explodingly perplex. It's so confusing that it makes quantum physics look like my son learning how to crawl. And that's not an easy thing to do. But the Bible also gets more confusing when people have different opinions on different verses and how to understand them. And then even worse, the validity of the Bible itself is even argued about. It's good times. Tonight, maybe you like the Bible. Maybe you don't. Maybe you read it and maybe you don't. Maybe you take it really seriously and maybe you don't think about it at all. And I just wanna say that's okay. Wherever you're at, that's okay. The point of the message tonight is this. If you ever do decide to embrace and read the Bible, we want you to understand how to view it. We want you to have a healthy, clear approach and lens through which you read the Bible because it is an important and controversial book. If I could, for a moment, just have the house lights turned up. I wanna do something fun uh, just for a second. I want to hear from, from you. If you've ever, uh, just two questions that I have that we'll put up on the screen. If you've ever talked to someone about your faith or Jesus or the Bible, then maybe you've experienced uh, them bringing up some questions about scripture that you might not have had the answer for. You probably didn't. Questions like, how did the Bible get started exactly? Or how did all of this start? Or is it, isn't it just something that some guys put together that kind of makes a good story? Or uh, can't we disprove some of those stories in the Bible? You guys kind of know what I'm talking about a little bit here tonight. And maybe you haven't talked to someone about it, but if you do, sometimes that happens. And so I just, I just had two quick questions for you that I wanted some crowd participation with that I would love to have you just shout out some answers to and, and don't feel weird about it. Uh, we're not gonna hold a mic up to your mouth or anything like that. But the first question is, what are some different ways that people see the Bible? What have you heard for or against the Bible? What are some different ways that people see the Bible? Just shout it out. Written by men, not God, implying not God. Someone said old, ancient, incomplete. Ooh, okay, come on. A fairy tale? What was the, what was the other one? Control, it just is written for control and power over the masses. Ooh, that's a good, that's a good answer. Come on, guys. Anything else? Not relevant today? Old, 2,000 years old, how can it be uh, relevant and, and not obsolete? It contradicts itself. Yes. Anything else? Oh, that was a few things. 
Ambiguous, vague. Anything else? I heard one more. No, okay, let's go to the second question. Wow, those were some really good answers. Do you think that a lot of people worry about the reliability of the Bible? Why? Why, why may people worry about the reliability? Hey, thanks, Reggie. While you guys answer, I'm gonna you know, turn around for a second. Why, why do you think, do, do you think a lot of people worry about the reliability of the Bible and why? Just go on without me. Now I just need some hand sanitizer. Just kidding, okay. It's just allergies, but I've had it for about a week. Okay, so uh, why do people worry about the reliability of the Bible? What reason do they have to worry about it? Oh, that's a good answer. Too many translations. Written by men. Kind of bleeding over into the other question a little bit. Yeah, that's a good, good answer though, too. Too many versions, translations, anything else? Change from the original language, not Hebrew or Greek, but English now, and we, don't, we can't trust it. Yeah, have you ever uh, had someone preach and in the middle of their sermon they say, but the Greek says this and this, and you go, is my Bible worth reading? Does it, my Bible doesn't say that. How would I ever have known that? Anyways, no? Okay, why wow, you guys got really silent on me there. Anything else? Nobody can prove it. These are some really good answers. And I wanted, I wanted to ask because I believe that people have always questioned the Bible, that they are questioning it today still, and that they will continue questioning it in the future. And not just a few people either. We're talking a lot of people. And not just the crazy people online, but smart, educated, intelligent humans that will dispute and challenge and undermine scripture. And that's all fine. The problem is, if you've never really given it much thought, then those arguments have the potential to change your whole world if you haven't thought about it. And so that's why I feel like it's, it's important to talk about this. And if you're anything like me, you've probably already secretly wondered, is it reliable? Can it be trusted? Now, I wish I had way more time tonight to get into it. But because we don't have the time or the attention span to go in through, in through all the books of the Bible, tonight we're gonna look at the reliability of the part that most affects our faith, the New Testament. Because it's where we find Jesus, of whom this big skeptic personally asks the question of, can I put my personal faith completely in Jesus? So I wanna answer the question tonight, can I count on what the New Testament says is it trustworthy or is it just a conspiracy theory that got a lot of traction somehow? So here we go. Go ahead and if you have your Bibles or you wanna download the, the Freedom app and go through there, all the sermon notes are always on there. Great job, team. You can open up to Luke 1, 1 through 4. I'm gonna do the same. I know everyone gives these millennial preachers a hard time about never preaching out of their Bibles, but here we go. I'm just kidding, guys. You know, I, I preached, while you guys are opening up, I'll just buy some time. Uh, I, I, before coming here about a year and a half ago and working with all the incredible small group leaders and everybody here, uh, I was a youth pastor for over eight years and got to work with teenagers and, and leaders and, and a lot of things in the church. And I got to preach every week, but now I don't preach every week. And so uh, I, I get nervous again when I preach. So uh, I've been excited about this, but a little, 
little uh, worried about the topic too, but I'm excited about this. We're gonna read this here in just a minute. You can go ahead and open up to it. Uh, when it comes to the reliability of the New Testament, it, it's full of people who also show up in other ancient documents outside of the Bible. Here's a, a slide with some different uh, names on here. We got Pontius Pilate, Augustus Caesar, Caiaphas, Herod the Great, you, you get it. And that's just a handful of them. There were many, many more. And this matters because if the Bible was unreliable, then these people who were alive when it was written wouldn't have let it stand. And then we get to our passage. Luke, the writer of the book of Luke and Acts, speaks to the Bible's reliability. And he says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated, and, and keep in mind, Luke is a doctor, okay? This, this guy spends his life knowing the importance of observation, investigation, learning, being patient, making sure you've got the details right. And he says, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I too then decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. I wish I could talk so much about him. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. It's really phenomenal because Luke mentions eyewitnesses investigating in an orderly account. When it comes to getting the word out about Jesus, the foundation of our faith we're talking about, this wasn't just about telling a good story. It was important to get the facts right. This was important to everybody, not just now, but forever. But just because the Bible refers to some people that maybe you heard of one time in history class a long time doesn't mean it's reliable. So we're gonna do something fun. When it comes to ancient documents and determining how reliable they are, the number of copies that we have makes all the difference. Did you know, Travis, you may find this interesting. You're you know, analytical guy. There are people whose whole jobs are to look at old versions of even, old copies of even older writings and analyze them and study them. I know you knew that. You're not in elementary school. I don't mean to insult your intelligence, but it's just crazy that that really exists. And there are these people whose whole job is to do that. And the, when they compare each other, the more times that these documents match up, it's gonna get fun here in a minute, I promise. The more times these documents match up, the more reliable they are. And also the more copies they have, the better. Duh, right? Again, I don't mean to insult you. So the best way to make a case, historically speaking, is a lot of, uh, of manuscripts in a high amount of agreement with each other. And even better is when you have early copies because that means they're closer to the point of the original origin writing. So the older, the better. You guys still tracking with me? So... To figure out the reliability of the New Testament, factors like the number of copies, accuracy between them, and the age of the oldest copies compared to the originals will help us see how the New Testament holds up. But to wrap our minds around exactly how reliable the New Testament is, or might be, let's check out some other non-Christian ancient historical sources that maybe you've heard of and see how reliable they are. How many manuscripts and of some of these famous authors are cataloged 
And now because of technology, we've gathered a much more accurate number of how many manuscripts exist in private collections, databases, museums, and discoveries even of new copies over the last few decades. Gosh, I did not feel like this was so nerdy when I wrote it a while back. Sheesh. I, I, I was, I was really excited about this. And I, I'll nerd out on you uh, one more time uh, here near the end too. But this all adds to their reliability, okay? That, that we have all of these documents compiled, okay? So here's, here's what we're gonna go through. Let's, let's look at first at Aristotle, okay? So Aristotle's famous for saying things kind of like the whole is more than the sum of its parts. What are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. It's this abstract concept. Or he says, we are what we repeatedly do. Things like that, Aristotle. Number of copies of, of Aristotle's writings are 49, not even 100. Approximate time span between original and the earliest copy is 1,400 years, which means it's difficult to tell if Aristotle said any of the things that he actually said. Now, I'm not try- my goal is not to disprove other ancient historical documents, okay? Let's look at Plato. Guy who's famous for saying, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle or only the dead have seen the end of war. The number of copies that we have from Plato's writings before recent technology was seven. The new number as of 2013 is 210. Not bad, we're in the hundreds. Approximate time span between the original and the earliest copy that we have is 1,300 years. So the accuracy is still very difficult to tell. That is a big gap of time and not a whole lot of copies. Let's look at Caesar. The old number of copies, 10. New number because of museums and databases and everybody compiling all this information and new discoveries as well, 251 copies of his writings and teachings and sayings. Approximate time spent between the original and the copies is about 1,000 years. We're getting some better, we get a little better. The accuracy is still difficult to tell exactly those different sayings. Okay. I got one more before the New Testament. Let's look at Homer, Iliad. This is, this is good. Number of copies, old number is 643. New number is 1,800 as of all the discoveries and compiling. We're in the thousands, that's really good. Approximate time spent between original and the copy is 500 years, almost half of the others, which is a big deal. So we are 95% sure that what Homer's copies and writings are saying are actually what they were supposed to say, what he wrote, what he was trying to convey, 95% consistent. Homer's looking pretty great compared to all the others. Now let's look at the New Testament. This is where things get really insane. The number of copies, the old number, was 5,600. The new number as of all the compiling of every copy of the New Testament is 66,000. 362, and the approximate time spent between the original and the copies is 100 years, not even. That is a very short amount of time, very short. And I would love to go into this a whole lot more, but the accuracy is 99.5% consistent. Now, I didn't write this in, but I'm gonna say it. If you're anything like me, that 0.5% bothers you a little bit. Let me just say, it's because some of the different writings that are not necessarily in our canon, in our, you know, the canon like Star Wars canon and Lord of the Rings, in our biblical canon, there's some extra writings that you can see that are not part of scripture. And let me just say, 
None of those have anything to do with the absolute foundation essentials of our faith. Some of our core doctrines that if you go to membership class, we'll talk about the seven things as a church that we really believe are the essentials. So when compared to other ancient historical documents and accounts, the New Testament is by far the most reliable document we have. In fact, critics have said, this is the best part. Critics have said, that the New Testament is by far the most reliable document and there is an embarrassing wealth of material from biblical manuscripts. There are over 24,000 copies of the New Testament from the early centuries of the church. And because I've just recently become a little bit bigger of a church history history or Christianity, not just Christian, but religious history nerd, uh, I wanna throw in something. I wanna mention that the majority of these copies come from the centuries, don't tune out. I know know when Vanessa starts tuning out, my wife starts tuning out when I say things like this. Before Emperor Constantine, all right, lost you. This is really important though. It's crucial due to the fact that Constantine ultimately shifted the reputation of Christians away, ready, from being seen as a persecuted cult of atheists. Yes, you heard me. Christians were the first atheists because they didn't worship all the Roman gods. They made Jesus their only king and abandoned everything that they had grown up with, believing in the the rain and the sun god. And through Constantine's powerful political and social reforms, he pushed Christianity to become mainstream around the year 300, 315, 313, the Edict of Milan, that kind of stuff. Which means that for 300 years before Christians were tolerated, those copies were written as Christians were hated, tortured, and killed for not worshiping the Roman gods. And yet, it did not deter people from going through the very difficult and expensive process of copying these writings. People protected and sacrificed their lives over the Bible that we have today. Imagine your wife and children being dragged out of your house tortured and murdered in front of you because you were a follower of the way and you were trying to protect something that you wanted to pass on to your community because you believed that it was true. And everyone else that had talked to you said, this is a life change, this is different. And I found something else, one last nerdy bit of information. I found out something else that's especially interesting. Besides textual evidence, are you guys falling asleep on me? Should I just move on? Should I tell a joke or something? A Chuck Norris joke? What happens when Chuck Norris jumps in a pool? The water doesn't get wet. Uh, or he, Chuck Norris doesn't get wet. The water gets Chuck Norris. No, it's terrible. Yep. Again, I was a youth pastor. Okay, one last uh, interesting thing. Besides textual evidence from manuscripts, which give us great reason to believe that the New Testament accurately transmits the content of the autographs, the original writings, there are other writings called patristic quotations, don't put it up yet, that were written by early church leaders in various places. These were writings such as sermons, commentaries, treatises, and other general quotations and writings of that time. These patristic, patristic quotations are so extensive, and there are so many sources that if all the other sources for our knowledge of the text of the New Testament were destroyed, they alone would still be sufficient to reconstruct, literally, practically, the entire New Testament. The number of patristic quotations that we have are 86,000, and all of them were written 
all of them were written within 300 years of the time of Jesus. Basically, the New Testament is more historically accurate than anything we have on Julius Caesar, Plato, Aristotle, and Homer. In other words, the documents that make up the Bible are reliable, massively reliable. More reliable than, yeah. And, and I, I, trust me, I am skeptical with you, but I am saying all of this not just from a Christian perspective. And I'll give you that caveat here in a second. Even the most critical atheist, Muslim, Buddhist, any other scholars will say there's no question that Jesus existed. None. But do you believe that Jesus was the son of God? That's the question. But as far as the Bible goes and the writings of the New Testament, they are more reliable than anything else in the history of this world, which is amazing. So worship team, if you guys will come, come on back up and we'll, we'll apply this here to, to us. How does this apply to our lives tonight? It comes down to this. Because you can trust the Bible, you can trust what the Bible says. Jesus changed everything. And I do believe that we can be confident in what the New Testament says about Jesus, which also means that you don't have to let what you don't know destroy your confidence. I want to encourage you to take accusations against this faith very seriously. Again, I know this is a different message than most. It's almost like a class. But take these accusations just like we should take everything, any accusation seriously. As brash as this sounds, this is, this is bad. I could say, I, could, I feel like I would write this for youth ministry. As brash as this sounds, use your brain. There's a lot of information in this world with two sides. When you're in school, you have to use your mind to research and calculate, support, prove, solve, and explain all kinds of things. And when we talk about our faith, church, I want to inspire you in a moment, but when we talk about our faith and God, church, Jesus, and the Bible, you don't have to turn off your brain. And that's a big deal to me. That's a big deal to someone who is not necessarily as emotional about things than maybe others may feel like you need to be to be a Christian. I believe that we can tackle some of these questions that we have about our faith and not just take it as truth when we hear it, whether for or against God, because God made your brain. And, and the last nerdy thing that I'm gonna say is your brain is smarter and faster than the world's fastest supercomputers. A few years ago, the fastest supercomputer in the world was the Tiani 2 from China. There's a picture of it. It would process information at 54.9 petaflops <laughs> per second, which is, oh gosh, he just, I, I was, yeah, eh, whatever. You know, I, I never mind, okay. 54.9 petaflops per second, which is a quadrillion calculations per second. Your brain miraculously processes information at one exaflop, which is equivalent to a billion, billion calculations per second. It takes the fastest smart computers in the world, this Tiani 2, 40 minutes to calculate what your brain can in one second. God was not messing around when he said, you are good. 
And I truly believe that he wants you to not just use all that brain power to figure out how little effort you can get into, put into your job before someone notices or how to use reverse psychology on your spouse to finally get them to do the chores. But I believe that God wants us to use that brain power to also discover more about him. So as, as you stand and we prepare to head out tonight, I want you to do one thing. I want you to give God's word a chance to change you. I had a youth leader in high school who asked me one time when I was just, you know, kind of trying to figure out who I am. I don't have a whole lot of friends and I feel really awkward. And, and I, I don't know about this whole God thing. And he said, Sterling, have you actually read, read some of the New Testament? And I said, well, a little bit, you know. And uh, he said, you should, you should give it a try. Well, I didn't want to, but I did it begrudgingly. And I opened up to the book of John and I would recommend that. And I started reading and I read a chapter begrudgingly and I found it very compelling. I found it very different than what I was expecting. Even with a little bit more of an open heart, I began to read the next chapter and the chapter after that and the chapter after that. And I, I do believe that it would be very easy for me to step away from my faith because it isn't so tangible all the time and you doubt. And I, I know that some of you are probably there or have been there, but I wanted to, to have a little bit more of a class session uh, because I believe that it's important to know that the Bible doesn't just say nice things, but it is very, very historically accurate you can determine whether you believe that what those writings say are true or not. But the fact is that those things happened. I'll say one, one last thing. I, I wanted to share with you some of the different books uh, that have really inspired me and have changed my life, changed my faith over the last six months. And I uh, got excited and made a, a, a poster or a, a, a flyer on a stand, whatever it's called, a sign. And as you're walking out tonight, um, there's a QR code and you can actually just open that QR code and it opens up my Goodreads account online with all the books that I really like and read. And uh, I made a little list of the five church history books that have changed my understanding of the Bible and of church and of faith. So on your way out tonight, make sure to scan that uh, if you're interested. I do audiobooks. I, I can't sit and read all the time. I've got a, a four-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old and they would throw the book out of my hands. So I listen to it when I'm driving and, and maybe that should work for you, but I encourage you to really try to figure out if this faith is trustworthy and if you believe that God's word can change you. M my hope is that you'll see that even though the Bible was written 2,000 years ago, that it is still alive and powerful today to every unique situation in your life. And I just wanted to say, those situations, if maybe some of these are for you, if you're having some difficulties in your relationships, God says, I have so much to say about relationships in my word and how to make them so much better. If you're trying to figure out what to do with your life, God says, I gave you those talents and the abilities that are within you. I know your potential and I know what you can do. 
If you have something weighing you down, God says, I really can give you rest, different rest, supernatural rest. If you don't know what the future hold, holds, God says, I do. I know the plans that I have for you. If, if your dad isn't around or doesn't know how to love you, then God says, I am the father to the fatherless. If you're scared, God says, no matter what you're walking through, I will be with you. If you've ever been rejected, God says, I've chosen you and you are mine. And if you feel shame, God says, in Jesus, there is no condemnation. And last, if you feel unloved by God, he says, I know you're questioning me. I know you question where you stand with me, but I want you to know, and I want you to hear God through his word saying these things. I have removed every obstacle between you and I. I've done it. While we were still far from him, Jesus died for our sins. He was crucified on a cross. No one in this world disputes that. Was he the son of God? And I wanna tell you personally that I have seen miracles in my life. I've seen those signs and wonders and I've seen it in this church even. And I'm here to tell you really that God does love you. And if you are far from him tonight, there is a spot at the table still for you, really. And I encourage you to start heading home. Start heading home. Worship team, let's sing. 